All right, welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we are broadcasting from all over the place. We got some really cool stuff. It's, it's been a while. Last time it was, uh, you know, an interview slash guest episode, which I think, and you guys uh, out there can reach out to us on Twitter and let us know if you'd like us to make that more of a recurring bit where we do a little bit of an RFC roundup with Robert uh, more frequently. But because of that, we didn't really get into some of the cool stuff that's been happening around the community. So I'm really excited to do that today. Yeah, for sure. Anything that we can do in the next like 20 minutes, I'm like seriously time capped on that. Uh, it is really hot outside and we have to shut off the AC to like record. So it's like I can just feel the heat creeping into my house. Yeah, I have a real question for you. So what's the actual degrees Fahrenheit right now? It was 105 when I was driving up to like get back to the house like a few minutes ago. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was bad up here in Providence. Wow. All right, well, let's dive in and uh, get the episode underway to save Chase's uh, bacon, so to speak. All right, the first one we're going to talk about is something called Ember Milestones. Um, this is kind of, I guess, early alpha, right? Yeah, it's like, uh, I think it's super early alpha. Uh, I- I'm not sure. I'd, re- I'd have to talk to some of the people at Saltify to figure that out. Um, yeah. But I learned of it uh, at a Boston meetup uh, not too long ago. Yeah, but it, it seems pretty cool. It's kind of a new take on how to do asynchronous testing. You'd have to really read the readme to like understand the exact cases you need this. This isn't something like uh, where you'd want to go refactor all of your async await tests that we just got. This is just kind of like for those specific cases where you're trying to wait for intermediate steps in a test to hit, and the existing tools like wait until don't quite cut it for like buggy reasons or something like that. Like maybe they're getting caught in between uh, the polling of that. But yeah, go check it out. It's uh, it's an interesting library. It handles some cases, problems I didn't, I didn't even know I would have. They're definitely the kinds of problems, though, that are probably going to be uh, intermediate, and they're, they're not going to happen every time. They're going to be the ones that are really hard to debug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been a very common thing for people to use. For intermediary loading states, you want to check that a message flashes or something like that. It's very common for you to just say, I'm going to click this button without the await keyword in my test. So it's an async test function, and I will say click the button, click the save button. This is uh, straight out of the examples from the docs branch of Ember Milestones. I'm going to click the button, and then I'm going to await, and then use the the test helper wait until, and then uh, have some find function that will do polling, intermittent polling, to say, hey, like have I seen this text that I expect? You know, like the, the saving state, the loading spinner, the whatever, some intermediary state. And uh, there's some problems with that uh, that I'm sure you've run into if you've ever written code like that, where depending on how fast the action takes place, it could could be faster and it it can occur faster than the polling happens. So the the time it takes to do the check to see if it's in the DOM. Uh, And that means that you'll have a flaky test. So on certain machines, for instance, it will work and other machines it won't, depending on their TPU speed or like load on other processors. That's just one of many different ways that it can go wrong. There's also some like spaces where if you did that wait kind of thing, you just couldn't get through it. Even if the, yeah, it, it's a it's a whole it's a whole mess. There, it's all a bunch of cool things. Uh, and the question uh, that I wanted to pose to our community was that: Do you so the methodology for actually implementing this is to add a milestone helper in your application code that wraps it and gives it a name for these intermediate states. The analogy that I have in my head is like test selectors. So we put test selectors in our DOM to better test and more reliably and you know better mitigate risk to future change. 
And this allows you to do that, but you're doing it inside of JavaScript code. You're saying, hey, here's a milestone, a thing that I need to check for right here. So uh, allow me to, in my test, say advance to this milestone, which I've given a name. And I have two questions now that I think about it. The first is, how do you feel about adding application code to handle things like this? Because this means that our testing logic has code that exists in the application space with the caveat, the, the notable caveat of that all of the milestone stuff is stripped out at build time. So you, there's no performance cost whatsoever. It's just there will be additional stuff going on in the code base. So it's not going to be a performance cost. That was very intelligent about that. It's actually really, really great at that. And then I guess the second question is, what do you think about the API? Uh, and I think that'll actually, I don't really want to go too in-depth in the API because I feel like it's not exactly a, an audible medium, the API design. So maybe uh, if you're out there and you're interested in, in you know better async testing, uh, maybe go and read the readme as, as Chase was recommending. And, you know, like, give us some feedback on the API design, which I think is really cool and has a lot of cool things. But first, I want to hear Chase's opinion. What do you think, Chase? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, probably a few years ago, like, doing primarily Ruby development, I would have been like, ew, I got to put code in here specific for my testing. But, like, recently, uh, seeing a lot of, like, C++ and things like that where there's constantly, like, assertions that happen only in development or testing and get stripped out for production. And then uh, we were actually talking about this before the the call, but I really think that like on a macro level, like that's what test-driven development's doing is it's definitely influencing the way you write code. It's not like your code is written in a vacuum and then you like completely black box test it. You are writing tests to try to drive the way you write your code or at least writing code that is easy enough to test. So I don't really think we can like pretend like tests don't influence the way we write code. And I've been using data test helpers now for for years, and so it's like I really can't pretend like I don't do that already. So um, <laughs> I think this is I think this is good. I like that it's more explicit than what is it Ember? Not Ember concurrency. What was the one that Rob did? Um, Lifeline. There's oh, sometimes when you're, yeah. when you're trying to test yeah. that, you have to specifically attach to those ticks. Like you have to know the name of them. And even though they they don't, I mean, they exist in code for actual reasons. Um, you name them, I think, specifically so you can grab the uh, handle to them and test. So, you know, that, again, is another case where you're having to do this. Um, so, yeah, I'm right. not super opposed to it, and I think it it seems like it's going to solve a lot of really hard to test, you know, flaky kinds of tests that sometimes squeak by, or sometimes you just avoid testing it because you're like, uh, you know, once you run into a problem or a wall with this and there's no real quick solution or any test you add is going to be flaky, you kind of just avoid it, or you maybe even change the UI or, or some some do something in a different way to avoid it. Um, so that you don't have to deal with it. And this is nice to just have a solution there. Yeah, totally. I really like your point that, you know, we can't pretend that we're code purists. There are often times when, you know, you need to register like async helpers or do debugging that will live in application space, even if it gets stripped out later. And I think that that's just the thing that I've become much more lenient on as well. Like also coming from a Ruby background where that was definitely frowned upon. Yeah, definitely. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, those are the two questions. Uh, if you have uh, some feedback on that, please reach out to us on Twitter. Yeah, I will say one more thing. The reason why I think it was frowned upon in Ruby um, was there was no clean way to just remove it. You know, like, you're not just going to go, like, look through the Ruby AS, unofficial AST, you know, like, um, yeah, there's, right. there's, yeah, there's tools true. we have to fix these kinds of things. That's why it's possible Definitely. and acceptable here. Yeah. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about is a repo that I've been working on with uh, Robert, although Robert's obviously doing just tons and tons of work on it uh, because he's a machine, or RWJ Blue. 
is Codemod CLI. And uh, I guess I'll start by saying that Codemod CLI was a CLI that was almost designed as a contrivance for the purposes of Robert giving a talk in Boston, which he did in June. There's a link to it on the Boston Ember Community YouTube channel, and you can find it pretty easily. It has, uh, basically the API was like what I wanted to exist when I was working on all these code mods. So um, code mods, when you're writing them, they're traditionally, I was using JS CodeShift. There are other ways to do code mods, but you are doing AST to AST transforms. So it's a little out there, but basically you want to change an input to an output and you want to have the semantics for describing the changes you want to have happen. Be aware of the structures within the language itself. So in this case, it uses an AST. I think it uses Babel uh, to parse that AST and then recast to print it back out. There's some other nuances there that it, it's, it's complicated. If you, if you want to see a, a really neat and concise way to kind of think about it, go to astexplorer.net and you can see a list of all of the different ways that you can you know, read the AST and write the AST and perform transforms. It's a wonderful tool. But I was writing a lot of these, and each one had a similar structure of, you know, we would create a transform, and then the input and output file for a particular test case. So say you wanted to modify an import directive to point to a different place or to import a different thing, you would say, this is the thing that I have now that exists in code right now, and this is the thing that I want, and it'd be labeled basic transform dot input dot whatever text, and then or JS, and then output dot JS. And then you would write some just code that basically grabs those two files and then runs a test on them. And then you run it again on the output of the original transform to make sure that it's idempotent. And setting that up is kind of tedious and uh, requires like a lot of knowledge. And it ended up being very ad hoc. So we were solving the same problem over and over again. So for the purposes of the talk, we wanted to describe how to build a good CLI. So in this case, the CLI that we've, we've designed was it allows you to call things, think of it kind of like Ember CLI itself. So you say code mod CLI new and you give it a project name and that's the basic project skeleton. Um, the most notable directory that you get is a transforms directory. And then you could say generate a, a code mod or generate a transform and that will generate a subfolder in the transform directory with a readme and an index.js file. The index.js file exports the transform. And then you would say, I want to, you know, code mod CLI generate fixture and then your code mod and the name of the fixture so like basic test and then that will give you two files an input and output that you just write you just plop the code that you want that you have and you plop the code that you want to exist and then you can start working on the transform itself then uh, once you do that you can run yarn test in your you know newly generated project and it will like run those things and that's kind of neat but it provided because the structure is known as anyone who's used Ember CLI for any length of time, you kind of realize that because there's structure and there's rules, you can do some cool things. So in this case, say you have a bunch of transforms and a bunch of fixtures, you can say code mod CLI generate docs or update docs. I actually don't know the exact thing off the top of my head, but it'll generate the docs and it'll go through all your inputs and outputs and it'll create a table of contents on your project's main readme on the root level. And then in each transform subdirectory, it will put the another readme and it will update both of those to include uh, it'll, it'll cross reference so it'll point to the other one and then the subdirectories readme will have the inputs and outputs of each transform fixture file so you can literally just say hey this is what the basic test does and it gives you a nice list um, there's an excellent example of this in uh, ember qunit code mod which robert converted to use code mod july last week or two weeks ago 
and uh, it's just really neat. So uh, I kind of want to just bring attention to it because I think it's it's a good way to organize this thing. But I think Chase, you had a couple of concerns. Do you want to enumerate those about like the the why? Well, the concerns I had were not really like how it's implemented or or the nest the purpose of it. It's more about like what's the ideal ideal use case because um, most of the time when I'm running a code mod, it's kind of like a like a one time blast everything, commit it, never touch the code mod again. So I, I tend to use the, the, like the same code mod only like once. You brought up a good point in that like sometimes you can't do it all at once, so you have to do it kind of piecemeal. Like when you get ready, you don't want to have this huge, massive commit, so you do it kind of on a smaller uh, subset of, the, of an app, make a commit, you know, and then when you hit, get to another section, then you might move that section over. So I definitely yeah. see the see the point there, uh, and I, I I really like even if it was really only useful for for fire and forget kind of stuff like one time use. It would still be worth it because I've written a few of them, and you do spend like hours just getting stuff set up, and and then it's not really useful for anybody else unless you really really document it. And this kind of uh, this generates its own documentation, which is great because you don't want to spend a bunch of time writing documentation if you don't have to. And most of the time, I mean, really, what this is doing is just taking the test and showing the before and after. But it puts in a really good kind of readme style, so I really I really dig that. And and then the other the other. Thing I was basically saying was that uh, one of the major areas I want to do code mods is in templates, and I was wondering whether this supported things other than JavaScript. Um, could you could you do this with like mainly just HTML or HPS files? Yeah, so that's a great. Those are great questions. Uh, I think the the last one is that currently it's mostly just for JS Code Shift, but that there's no real reason for that outside of just some glue code. So all of the testing harness for it is inside of CodeMod CLI, not inside of your app. So uh, it would not be that much difficult or that, that much more work for us to allow you to specify what type of CodeMod this is with some sort of configuration file inside of the transform subdirectory. And that would give you a lot of flexibility as far as that's concerned. But already, um, we're, we're like one of, the, one of the goals originally was to allow this to run your JS CodeShift against both JavaScript files and TypeScript files. And that's just kind of magically done already. Like you could just do that. So uh, yes, there are plans to potentially have more types of transforms. Maybe things like ASP uh, Explorer dropdown lists, you know, style, uh, where you have a bunch of different uh, combinations of things you can specify in a config file for transform. But uh, for now, it's JS and and TypeScript. But to your point, so the, there's piecemeal development. That's another. That's one reason why you might want this. Making sure you don't break things as you do a really complicated code shift is really helpful. So, you know, you have your, your test case. Oh, I'm changing just the import here and just the function invocation here and I'm changing the objects here, you know, whatever. Having tests that test the individual things kind of individually can help you really like work much faster. That was my experience anyway. And the other one, personally, the reason I really wanted this is because I've been developing like code mods that work for my current client project specifically, and they're not like big, you know, community driven things. They're like patterns that live within inside of this project's code base and building up a corpus of code mods can help people feel more comfortable writing a code mod. Uh, so developers who aren't, you know, always writing code mods can come in and be like, Oh, well, how do they do, how does it happen here? And how does it happen there? And just start working on a code mod right away. That's a pretty non-trivial like thing, and also you could you could look at some of the documentation and say, oh, this kind of sounds like what I want. Click it, see the inputs and outputs, and you know you can share some code. Uh, start. It's just a JavaScript application, so you can you can do imports and stuff, uh, and it and it generally just works. So 
Uh, there's just a lot of really cool organizational things here. It was also used, as I mentioned, to represent like what are the things a good CLI has to do. So it does like defer to project versions. So you could write your code mod CLI and we can make code mod CLI do more things in the future and your project will still work and things like that. Um, so I don't know, um, if you're interested in writing code mods and stuff, uh, I was going to mention this at the very end of our, our Ember Weekend outro kind of thing, but uh, I will be speaking on code mods on uh, July 26th on the Ember NYC meetup. So uh, be sure to check out for that as well. Uh, and then, oh, and then one other thing. Uh, we were just talking about conventions. So code mods CLI conventions could, could allow us to do things like, uh, and I'm not necessarily interested in implementing this, but it's like the idea that's pretty cool is you could have it to where you can have a function that imports and exports directly to the uh, AST Explorer's GitHub or just format. So you could like write it in your machine and then like load it into AST Explorer for messing around with it and like getting some more like getting fiddly with the AST, trying to figure out things and then just press a button and like pull that down and try to reprocess it down. And just some cool things like that where knowing enough information about the project, you can do some cool stuff like that. So it's a cool idea. I mean, that's like obviously just a, a thing. I have it on a, on a bullet list there. And I just wanted to mention that that's kind of a thing we talked about. And it, it, it's a really cool idea, but it's probably a lot of work. So, yeah. Either way, the, the project sounds uh, pretty awesome, definitely useful. And I know I'm going to be using it in the future. I, I have like a lot of bigger tasks that I have put off, mainly because there are going to be a lot of manual work. But I kind of keep forgetting now that there's code mods out there and that when they're a lot easier to write, you'll you know, be able to do a lot more of this. So it's pretty good. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find myself using code mods for sometimes like even really simple things too, uh, like just, you know, updating a function call. I mean, most of the time, sometimes the find and replace is still better, like just because it's much easier to do. But, uh, you know, anytime it gets to like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, how would I do this? How would I search for this? Or can I actually replace it with arguments or something? I'm just like, yeah, just do a code mod. Yeah, so check it out. It's uh, code mod CLI. All right, and that's all we're going to have for this weekend. I'm already burning up. Uh, so <laughs> we will see you sometime in the future. Sometime in the future, for sure. It's been great uh, having you all. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the end. And yeah, uh, I will see you. We'll see you soon. Uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. We'll see you later. See you next time. <laughs>